0: Thanksgiving, bless us all we pray, and have mercy upon us, and upon the whole church throughout the world, and we ask... Take us through that passage today, so
1: Alex's day job is uh, a doctor, (laughs) um, but he has been doing the Cornhill Bible teaching course over the Mm -hmm. last six months, that's Uh right, isn't it, so um, and this will be the first time you've preached to a church, is that right as well, pretty much, yeah, so yeah, uh, we're in for a treat. So now we're delighted to have you, and um, uh, just it's a great opportunity to uh, give thanks to God for you as well. So let's pray, and uh, uh, we'll hand it over to you. Father, we thank you for Alex. Uh, we thank you for the desire that you've given him to teach your word, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we gather around it now, that you speak to us uh, through it. So we pray that you bless Alex as he takes us through this passage, and that you speak to, speak to us now, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Athol, thank you for raising the lectern especially. It's going to be okay. You've got this. I believe in you. Everything's going to be fine. When we feel nervous, scared, anxious, whether that be about an upcoming job interview, an exam, a presentation, an event we've spent months organising, a big sports match, It's wonderful to hear words of reassurance from someone that we trust that everything is going to be okay. And the inner storm, at least for a time, is calmed. But as well as the big upcoming events in our calendars, we also seek reassurance about some of the big questions in life, which can be harder to come by. Am I doing the right job? Am I living in the right place? Am I surrounded by the right people? Am I right to put my faith in Jesus? In this passage we're looking at together this morning, we find something remarkably reassuring, that we are doing exactly the right thing by putting our faith in Jesus. And in him, we have everything we could ever need that put all those other questions into perspective. So we are looking at the opening section of a letter written by the Apostle Paul one of the very earliest churches based in the ancient city of Colossae, which was located in what is now modern-day Turkey. Paul was one of the influential early church leaders shortly after the death and resurrection of Jesus and author of much of the New Testament. And he wrote this particular letter while under house arrest in Rome. And the young church he is writing to had been planted by his associate Epaphras, who was the one who had brought the good news of the gospel to the people of Colossae. And I like to suggest that this young church in Colossae isn't too different to the one sitting here today on Leith Walk. For while the people of Colossae were likely not in a modern building behind a gym and next to a Sainsbury's, they were a young church living in a culture that was hostile to their faith. For them, they were surrounded by people trying to lure them away from Jesus and the gospel they had received with new philosophies, religious practices, rules of what to eat and not eat, the worship of angels, and all kinds of spiritual practice that would insist there was more to the Christian life and experience than what they had received in the gospel. For us, we live in a culture where there is always a new best thing, a new habit, a new technology, a new technique that if only we embraced would revolutionize our lives. And this way of thinking can creep into the church, whether that be new strategies for church growth or evangelism or worship, that if only we embraced, would lead us into a richer and deeper experience of the Christian faith. To these young, unsettled Christians in Colossae, Paul begins his letter with some words of reassurance that are was true for them then as they are for us today, that the gospel that they had received is the true gospel the wonderful news of hope for anyone who puts their faith in jesus and from this gospel without adding any new religious techniques or spiritual practice can live full and fruitful lives worthy of the lord so we're going to look at this passage in two sections verses 3 to 8 and 9 to 14 firstly verses 3 to 8 which i'll read again if you've got a bible or phone with you you can follow along and i want you to listen out for that reassuring tone in paul's voice just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And if you're anything like me, you may have found that train of thought a little tricky to follow. So let's break it down into smaller chunks and look at some of the reasons why we can be reassured of the wonderful news we've received in the Gospel. So firstly, the reassuring hope of the Gospel. Paul opens in verse 3, by thanking God for the faith that these young Christians in Colossae have in the Lord Jesus the love they had for one another and the hope that's laid up for them in heaven faith, hope and love are a triad triad used frequently by Paul in the New Testament perhaps most famously in a passage we most often hear at weddings 1 Corinthians 13 and now these three things remain faith, hope and love but the greatest of these is love But I want us to notice the specific relationship between the three of them here. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Faith in Christ, love for one another, spring from hope. A hope that is laid up for us in heaven. The hope laid up in heaven, which is the hope of the gospel, is described perhaps most famously in the gospel of John Chapter 3, in a conversation between Jesus and the Jewish leader Nicodemus, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The hope we have in the gospel is that death is not the end, that this broken world is is not all that there is, that on the other side of this life is eternity with our loving Heavenly Father, where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more, or there'll be no more mourning, no crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. A hope that unlike everything else in this fragile world, is totally secure and can never be taken from us. How quickly do our minds get so focused on the past, the present, the worries of tomorrow, that we will forget all about the wonderful reality that our eternal future, the next 100 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 years and beyond are spent with Jesus, our Saviour in heaven. The wisdom of our culture today is to be present in the moment, but I wonder if as Christians we would be better off allowing our minds to drift into the future more often and think of that glorious hope played up for us in heaven. Secondly, the reassuring reach of the gospel Paul goes on in verse 6 to give thanks that the good news of the gospel that has come to this young church in Colossae has gone out to to the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing, as it is among them also. To these young, unsettled new believers in Colossae who weren't sure if they were doing the right thing, where they were being drawn in many different directions, Paul is reassuring them that they are doing exactly the right thing by putting their faith in Jesus. For the gospel is bearing fruit among them. And as we look around each other in this church, let us be reassured and encouraged that the gospel is bearing fruit right here on Lethal Walk, in the faith we have in Jesus, the love we have for God and for one another, in the acts of generosity and kindness we see as we seek to serve God and love one another, all because of the hope played up for us in heaven. And may we also be encouraged that while it may not always feel like it living in Scotland, worldwide the gospel shows no signs of slowing down. It surprised me to read that the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. Just 20 years ago, there were estimated to be only around 10,000 Christians living in Iran. Today that number is closer to a million. And what I found really cool about this is that this is in despite of a complete lack of church buildings, with a church instead meeting in people's homes. The wonderful news of the gospel is that for every tribe and nation all across the world, not a single person is excluded from its reach. Not a single friend, not a single colleague, not a single family member, brother, sister, mum, dad, husband, wife is excluded from its reach. So Thirdly, the reassuring truth of the gospel. Verse 7 and 8, Paul confirms to the Colossians, that the gospel they have received from Epaphras is the true gospel. The reason why this was so important was at the beginning we mentioned that the Colossians were surrounded by people trying to lure them away from Jesus with all kinds of new philosophies, various religious practices, to try and convince them there was more to the Christian life and experience than what they had received in the gospel. But Paul is saying that Epaphras, who is described in verse 7 as Paul's beloved fellow servant, And a faithful minister of Christ is a messenger that they can trust and they can cling on to in the gospel that he taught them. For it is the true gospel as verified by the Apostle Paul. And this is an encouragement and reassurance to us also that the gospel which has come come to us in the word of God is something true and trustworthy. Something that in the busyness and chaos chaos of life that we can cling on to that is real and solid and we can put our trust in. I like the image of a compass that no matter where it is, on a mountain, in a valley, in, a, in the city, out at sea, it never loses its direction. It is always able to point north. So it is with a word of truth, the gospel, that we can use it to gain our bearings in life, to know exactly where we're going no matter what's going on as we put our faith in Jesus and trust our path is secure with him. So finally, the reassuring transformation of the gospel. Paul finally in verse 8 makes note again of the love that they have in the spirit made known to him by Epaphras. What a wonderful thing it is for the defining feature of the church, this church, to be love. Love we have for God and love we have for one another. But importantly, a love that is only possible because we have been first loved by God. And from this love, Poured out on the cross as Jesus died on the cross for our sins, we are transformed to love one another in a way that would never be possible without God. That we can do, as Jesus asked in Matthew 5, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us because we have been loved so dearly ourselves. I think this is both an encouragement and a challenge for us as we think how hard it can be to love in some situations where we feel like we've been wronged in a way that really hurts deep down. But in these moments, may our first thought to be to look to the cross and think first of the love God has for us before we respond to love to one another. So to summarize the first section, Paul gives thanks to God as he reassures these young Christians of the glorious hope of the gospel that is evident in the faith they have in Jesus and the love we have for one another. So we'll move on to the second section, which we'll look at more briefly, where Paul, having reassured the believers in Colossae of the remarkable hope they have in the gospel, prays that they would come to know all the fullness of life that the gospel offers. So I'm going to read again verses 9 to 14. If you've still got your Bibles open, you can follow along. And I want you to listen listen out to the emphasis on fullness. Verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's humbling to see how Paul, the great evangelist of the New Testament, was as passionate about prayer as he was about teaching and preaching, as he prays without ceasing for these young believers, and gives us a fine example of how we can model our prayers for one another. Paul's prayer for this young church is that they would come to know all the fullness of life on offering the gospel so that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. To do this, he prays four things for these young believers, that they would increase in knowledge, that they would bear fruit, that they would be strengthened, and that they would give thanks. Firstly, in verse 9, Paul prays that they would increase in knowledge, knowledge of God and knowledge of his will. The mystery and beauty of the Christian faith is that we may come to know God the creator of the universe personally, and have a relationship with him, not as a detached deity, but as a father. So how do we grow in knowledge of God? Well, in a similar way to relationships we have with our loved ones. We spend time with them to get to know them better, to learn more about them. We seek to find out about their likes and dislikes, about what makes them tick, about what they think about certain things. And with God... We get to know these things through spending time with him, through speaking to him in prayer, through, through reading his word, the Bible, to get to know him better. And we echo Paul's prayer here for ourselves and each other, that we may grow in knowledge of God, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So secondly, in the second half of verse 10, Paul prays that w- they may bear fruit. I don't know about you, but I am absolutely loving this weather we've been having as we come into spring after what has felt like a very long and dark winter. And as the sun shines, we see the plants and trees begin to blossom as they come into season and start to bear fruit. Being British, my favourite fruit is, of course, strawberries. And my very British tummy is getting very excited about that first bowl of strawberries and cream. And in the Christian faith, The idea of being fruitful is how we as Christians can blossom and live lives worthy of the Lord by being rooted in Jesus as our source and sustainer of life. And through him and the work of the Spirit living in us, we can live lives pleasing to him. In another of Paul's letters to the Galatians, we see a description of the fruit of the Spirit. put Put memorably in a children's song, which I'll not attempt to sing now. And this, and may this be a prayer for ourselves and one another to grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Thirdly, verse 11, Paul prays that these young believers in Colossae may be strengthened. Paul knew that it was not easy being a Christian in the, in the hostile culture of Colossae, as it is not easy being a Christian in the 21st century Scotland in a culture that feels increasingly hostile towards Christians, where our beliefs are marginalised and faith in God may be ridiculed. And he prays that they may be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. And what a reassuring thought this, that it is to have God in our corner, fighting with us every step of the way. And it's interesting to see what it looks like to be strengthened by God, it is simply to face the trials and troubles of life with endurance, patience, and joy. And just to highlight that last one, joy, that doesn't mean that we're always happy, that we go around with a smile of on our faces. It's that whatever the circumstances, whether life is good or when things get really tough, in times of sadness and great struggle, we deep down still have that sense of contentment that comes from knowing God as our rescuer and sustainer. So finally, as we reach the end of our passage, Paul prays that these young Christians would give thanks to the Father for the glorious hope of the gospel that is in them. I'm just going to read again verse 12 to 14. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As we come to a close, let's reflect on our own personal walks of faith. Perhaps it was years ago you became a Christian. Perhaps it was more recently. And perhaps it's something you're just starting to think about. We see here the incredible hope on offer, that based on no exam or qualification we have passed ourselves, simply by putting our faith in Jesus, that we are plucked from the domain of darkness where we were living in rebellion against God and we are transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son who give us a clean slate where we are forgiven for every wrongdoing we have ever committed and we come to share in the inheritance of the saints and look forward to the hope laid up for us in heaven. And while we await our future hope, we seek to live lives worthy of the Lord, increasing in knowledge, bearing fruit, being strengthened, and giving thanks let's pray together lord our father we thank you for the hope and reassurance we have in the gospel lord we're so thankful for the glorious hope laid up for us in heaven that one day you will wipe away every tear from our eyes there'll be no more mourning no crying no pain and Lord, we pray that we may come to know all the fullness of life on offering the gospel, and we may seek to live lives worthy of you, to become more like your Son, Jesus. And we thank you that you are with us, strengthening us every step of the way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thanks, Alex. Uh, Well, something that we do regularly here is take time to remember Jesus' death by taking bread and wine together. Uh, The bread and wine represent a meal that Jesus shared with his disciples shortly before he died.